0: Good morning. Uh, My name is Cameron, and uh, I am the community life pastor here at McDowell, and it is so good to be here today. Um, We have been in the middle of the series, like Matt said, called the Theology Project. And theology is what we say and what we think about God. And, And that's important because what we say and what we think about God Typically translates, or at least it should translate, into the way we interact in the world around us, our worldviews, right? Because if there's discontinuity between what we say and what we think about God and how we act in the world in which we live, then then we live in a tense kind of life. Does that make sense? So so we've been tackling this. We've been going through um, one of the first weeks we talked about that unity. So we should try to, and one of the goals in this series is to get down to the basics of what it means and uh, to be in Probably orthodoxy is the good word, Christian orthodoxy. And uh, and then give some room, some grace for, for different uh, ideas and interpretations of, of things that aren't as clear in, in the Bible. And so um, we're going to try to tackle that today with the topic of heaven and hell. So <laughs> grab a cup of coffee and... Uh, <laughs> we got our word cut out for us. Um, but it, it's so good, and, and I want to share today a, a few insights uh, that I've gleaned in, in my time as a follower of Jesus, um, some things that have really surprised me about heaven and hell in this topic that have really changed my worldview, the way I interact in the world in which I live. And so my, my goal, my hope for you is that this is not a concise conversation about heaven and hell, but... The beginning, the start of a conversation that you can hopefully go from this place and continue that conversation uh, with your own friend groups and families and so on. So, um, sound good? Are you guys up for the ride? My son, Knox, has a bad habit right now of interrupting conversations. (laughs) Have you ever had a friend that interrupted conversations? And you're like, hey, you, you don't know the point. You can't get the point of the conversation or the punchline if you interrupt halfway through because he thinks anything and everything right now is about dinosaurs. Like, we're not going to Target to get more dinosaurs, you know. We're not going to grandma's house to get dinosaurs, no matter how much you want to do that. But he interjects in the middle of these conversations, so we're constantly telling him, like, hey, man, you, you know, you got to... It takes a long time to filament back in. Okay, you know, no, you know, granny isn't dying, don't worry. <laughs> you know, like, she, she just, you know, she just fell, and she's, I'm just joking. She's, everybody's fine in my family. Um, but something similar has happened, I think, with heaven and hell. There's been an ongoing conversation happening here that somehow Hollywood interjected. And our culture interjected, interrupted the conversation, and said, "Oh oh, oh, I know." you know, and like my son Knox, no, you have no idea. <laughs> like this is an ongoing conversation that's been going on for, for quite a while, and so you slip in thinking, "Oh, I got it all figured out when uh if, if you're like me, when I was uh, uh just just followed Christ, and and early in my life, I had a view of heaven and hell that essentially I would die. We all die, right? I would die, and then God would be there, and I would have this password moment, right? So like, okay, you know, sweaty palms, do I say the right thing? And if yes, like ding, 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 you know, and it's like heaven, all right, and there's um, filet mignon or whatever you chose. And then if I got the password wrong... I'd be sent, banished to some outside universe, like somewhere that you know scientists still haven't seen with the telescope, some you know cosmos out there, and um, and I think that's fundamentally wrong. With, it's fundamentally wrong when you approach it from the biblical view, and so I want I want to tackle that for a few seconds, because I think that it's so important that we have a correct foundation and view about heaven and hell. So I'm not going to spend as much time talking about the nature of heaven and hell. I, I haven't written a book, 90 Minutes in Heaven. I haven't died, you know, and experienced heaven. i am come to share my insight with you. Matt just merely asked me to speak about some of my observations about uh, this topic. And so that's, that's what we're here to do. Sound good? Um, so in the very beginning, page one of the Bible... God said, let there be light, right? And he created. But even before that, verse 1, in the beginning, God created heavens and earth, heavens and earth. In the first two pages of the Bible, things are going really, really well. And God creates, he he arranges the furniture in, in the house, you know, things are going really well. And then he says this, Um, in Genesis 2. Well, Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. By the way, if you're wondering why are humans here on the earth? What's our role? This is a little insight to work it and take care of it, cultivate the world in which we live and grow it and take it somewhere. That was God's original intention for us. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. This sounds like a major plot point, right? Maybe I should pay attention right here because something, like why would he say this if, if why would they write this down if this wasn't an important point? But we quickly know in page three of the Bible, things take a turn. What happens? We do what God told us not to do. And I say we because I, I'm not convinced that if I was in that spot, I would do any differently than Adam and Eve. Sometimes I think I could, sometimes I don't. Knox probably would have obeyed. Silas, my other son, definitely would not. Um, <laughs> every time I tell him, don't touch that, it's like, you know, uh, and then we have to clean it and wipe it off. And it's like, oh, man, but the joy of kids, right? Um, but this, the, the story takes a turn at this point. And what I want us to, to, to get at, at this moment is that in pages one and two of the Bible, God's space and human space are overlapping. God and humans dwell together. They're talking with each other. They're in the cool of, or the garden in the cool of the day together. This picture is painted of God and humans dwelling together in unity. But after sin and rebellion, the outcome, did you catch it? Is death. Death invades God's good creation. So, perfect, great, awesome, God's intention, but then it's ripped apart by our will. Now, in our home, the family room is positioned right in the middle of our house. Here are the bedrooms. Here's the kitchen and the playroom. And right in the middle is shared space, okay? If you were to come to our house, this is most likely where you would trip on a dinosaur, okay? Um, this is where things tend to, if you you know, where do things, things tend to pile up in your house? It's right in the shared space. It's in the family room. But that's also the heartbeat of our house, if you want to see what it's like to live with us, that's where it's happening. And there's often a battle of wills. Knox and Silas are going at it, bloody noses and things like that are happening in the family room. And we all know who's the boss. It's my wife, Kelly, and she sometimes will banish us to our you know, other opposite sides of the, the house. But this is important because, because what happens here, heaven, the kingdom of God, these are all words for, for heaven right? For eternal life. And then on this side, the world, the present age, the age of sin and death is God wanted shared space. He desired it. He created it that way. That's the way he designed it. He wanted to be with us from the very beginning. If you're not reading your Bible that way, you're reading it wrong, (laughs) In the beginning, he wanted us to be together. And ever since, God has been pursuing you. God has been pursuing me. And really, God pursuing us, wanting these spaces to merge, wanting the shared space to merge, is really the story of the Bible. After page three, (laughs) God tries through the Torah and the law. He tries through the tabernacle. He follows the Israelites around and says, you know, hey, in in the tabernacle, you will encounter me. My presence will be there. And then they build a temple, which is stationary, right? (laughs) Okay. We know like God will be here, but only certain people can go in uh, because he's so holy. Matt Seelich talked about last week, holiness, you know, God's pursuit of holiness is because he's so holy. And so, So then the temple, but none of it works. The story is God pursuing us and us pushing God out. That's my story. Maybe it's yours too. God finally came up with a solution to the separation, to the divorce. And his name was Jesus of Nazareth. It's the one thing God did that actually fully created a shared space. Jesus is our family room, okay? Jesus is our family room, and he invites us into that shared space because in Jesus, God came near. He moved into the neighborhood. And through Jesus... He gave us his spirit. So the Holy Spirit, we, when we are in Christ, we have his spirit. Like we talked about a few weeks ago, the Holy Spirit is now in us, and we become small little temples of God's space here on earth. We become the overlap. Does that make sense? Are you guys with me? This is huge. I'm like, oh man, when I was going uh, to church when I was a kid, like they lied to me, you know? I felt betrayed when I kind of figured this out on my own. Like, hold on a second. I thought that really, I thought the story was that like we just live and we try to do the best we can. And then if we don't get the password right, we go here or here. But instead, here's a diagram. This is the biblical view of heaven and hell or the current age and the age to come. (laughs) Initially, like we said, God created his good world. He created us in his image. In the image of God, we were created. But then page three, sin and death entered, invaded God's good created world. So we currently are in this dimension of living death, okay? Which sounds terrible, right? Living death. And if you turn on the the news, you would actually quickly believe that we are living in a time of living death. That's what it feels like sometimes. But then something happens right there on the cross. And that's God's rescue plan to bring life and life to the full is what Jesus says. I've come to give you life right now. It's available now, but it's also for eternity. So this is kind of a diagram of what that looks like. So we can possess eternal life in Christ Jesus if he becomes our Lord, and then we die, right? (laughs) So, Ominous, you die. (laughs) And then this little section right here is really fuzzy. Theologians can't agree on this. We've never been able to agree on what happens in this intermediate state. Jesus looks to the the robber on his right and says, hey, today, surely you'll be with me in... Not Shirley. His name's not Shirley. <laughs> That's what it sounded like, right? Uh, Today you will be with me in paradise. But we don't know. The, the Bible only has like three verses on this thing. But again, if you're living death and you die, you're in the grave. You're just in the, in the dirt. You're in the grave. That's the way the Hebrews understood it. It's called sheol. So the word hell in the Old Testament typically is translated sheol. And in the New Testament, it's it's Hades, right? There's, it's the grave. Whereas with Christ, somehow we're we're in. His presence. Are we conscious of that time? Are we not? Well, I don't know. We don't know. I haven't written a book yet about the ninety minutes to heaven. But then Jesus returns. Okay, are you following? Are you tracking with me? So this is this is really what we should believe about eternal life, heaven, hell. Okay, heaven is resurrection. We say resurrected life because God is resurrecting a new heaven and a new earth and uniting them together. That's his goal. In separation from God, that's hell. Living apart from God, whatever that looks like. There are different views on what that looks like to you. And today, we're not gonna tackle the nature of what that looks like, uh, but more so that this, this is huge when we start to think about, okay, what does that mean for me, eternal life? Should I be thinking about this? Yes. Should I be talking about this? Yeah, probably. Should I be reading this in my Bible and kind of, does this help me frame some of these passages that are really confusing? Oh yeah, it, it definitely does. Once we get the gra- grasp of this, like it has changed my view of, of the Bible, which the Bible is what we're gonna be talking about next week, so we hope that you'll come back as we talk about the Bible. But um, hopefully this is helpful for you. It's, it's helpful for me. And um, it's kind of summarized Revelation 21. You've probably heard this verse before, or if you've been in the church, you've heard this before. And let's see if this kind of gives us a, a different picture of this passage, knowing this now. Verse 1, chapter 21, verse 1 of Revelation. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Again, God pursuing us, coming down to earth. He's coming here, not us going to a cosmos out there. That's the picture we have. Prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Again, Matt talked about the the imagery of a party, of a wedding, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, right? He's come near and he will dwell with them in the family room, right? They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. For me, once I had an understanding of the biblical view of eternal life, this passage took on a whole different meaning. So in this theology project, our goal has been to kind of, okay, let's summarize real quick. So i want to summarize what we've kind of talked about, and then I want to go into a couple observations and a story about a prison cell. Um, but to summarize, here's our theological statement where all Christians should agree that this is a view on eternal life, is that Christ's return will usher in a complete kingdom, okay? Complete kingdom where God will be with his redeemed people forever in a new and united heaven and earth without sickness, sin, or death. So one more thing before we move forward is that idea of a complete kingdom. What does that mean, right? Well, when God came near through Jesus, something happened on the cross. That little blip right there where there's the cross. What happens there? We can obtain somehow life or life to the full. That's what theologians call inaugurated eschatology. You want to try that? Try that with me inaugurated eschatology. If you want to impress your friends, you'll learn that. And not, what do you believe about heaven and hell? I believe inaugurated eschatology, which really means, it's very simply, is that the future eschatology what we talk about when we talk about the future has started. And that happened in Jesus. Jesus is rule and reign God's rule and reign came down through Jesus invaded our world and now he's squashed out death he's the only one that has gone to the grave and returned from it resurrected and he's given us the same promise that we too can conquer sin and death in our lives if we put our faith and hope in him and that is good news amen that is great news but that's inaugurated eschatology that somehow Jesus reached into the future and pulled it into the present. It's eternal hope now, both now and forever, both now and forever. Does that make sense? You're with me? All right, so now we got that out of the way. I want to to talk about just a few observations uh, about hell and and heaven, and then then we can get to our story. So uh, with that in mind, here are a few thoughts about hell that can probably help us frame this conversation. Number one is it's real. It's real because it exists right now. Okay? Whatever eternal hell is, I don't want to be a part of it because we experience death and pain and cancer and sex trafficking and you name it, fill in the blank, what are you going through right now that feels like hell? And maybe it's just the weather walking outside. It's like, oh, man, it's real. It's happening right now, and it's happening in Phoenix, Arizona, um, I love this. Jesus says, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So whatever it looks like, whether we're conscious in hell or not, I don't know. But I don't, I don't want to experience it. I've experienced so much in this life. I don't want to experience it in the next. Number two is it's outside the city. Now, this is one of my favorite metaphors for hell, if, if you can have a favorite metaphor for a place uh, like hell. But I, I like this metaphor. It's outside the city because darkness doesn't really, like, what, what's up with darkness? Fire, that doesn't make sense to me. If it's fire, don't we just get burned up? You know, like, I don't understand. There's uh, different metaphors that can be used. But this one, this is scary to me. Because have you ever been scrolling through Instagram and all of a sudden you're like, hey, I know him. I didn't know her. Oh, I didn't get invited to the party, right? Or you've experienced a relationship that failed, right? Or have you experienced um, moving away from your family for the first time? What makes it more powerful is that there's a relationship there. God desperately wants to be with us. And in hell, we're apart from God. We're separated from him. And I don't want to know what that cold shoulder feels like. I don't. I don't want to know. The, the Revelation, the book of Revelation, Isaiah 65, too, if you want to do some homework on this, but, but it paints Heaven as a city, a new Jerusalem coming down. And so uh, it describes that outside the city are those who have not chosen life. Number three, it's locked from the inside. If I'm honest, this is so true. It's locked from the inside. And don't we know it? That we hold on to our way and our will time and time again, even though the invitation is always there. But it's actually God's mercy because God says, you know what? You want your way? That's fine. I'm pursuing you though and I'm never gonna stop pursuing you. I love you and I'm never gonna stop loving you. I created you and I want to see you in my city for eternity. I wanna be with you. I love. It. Here's a couple quotes that kind of helped me think about this. Hell is not an oops or a slip. One does not miss heaven by a hair, but by constant effort to avoid and escape God. The Bible tells us that God is patient, not wanting anyone to end in hell. He wants all of us to be at the party. He wants all of us to be there. If we miss it, it's because of our own constant effort to avoid him. And then this one, Joshua Ryan Butler. Hell isn't locked from the outside, it's locked from the inside by people refusing to be healed. Every time... I'm carrying a bunch of boxes, and the doors, like you know, somebody's like, "Open the door," and they're like, "Oh, can I help you?" I don't know why, but I'm always like, "Nah, I'm good," right? It's my like, "No, I'm good." I'm like, "Whoa," you know, spilling the boxes or whatever, and and I, that's my gut reaction. And sometimes I have the same approach with God. No, God, I'm good. My way, I got it figured out. I got my thing going right i put my faith in the system or you know i've protect my family you know got a good 401k plan and you know got things stored up so my family can be okay well you know what god wants to be involved in each and every area of our lives he cares that much about us nah i'm good it's locked from the inside okay so a few thoughts about heaven number 1 It's being with God. We've talked about this a lot, but this is the main point of the story. God wants to be with us. He cares so much about us. He is pursuing us and has been from the very foundation of the world. He cares about you and he cares about me. For the wages of sin is death. Does that make sense now? That's Okay, wages of sin is death. We're in this death continuum, but the gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus, he wants to be with us, and in relationship with him, he gives us life. Number two, heaven is better than we imagine. I was sitting at the Diamondbacks game on Friday night, and um, I was watching the game, I was loving it, and my wife Kelly leans over, and she goes, hey, they have free Wi-Fi, (laughs) It's even better than you imagined. <laughs> I love this. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. You see, in the beginning, it's a garden of Eden. At the end, Revelation says it's like a garden-like city. Something's changed because it's celebrating both the creativity of God, and the creativity of humans married together in this awesome new city. It's even better than you imagine. Filet mignon, deep dish pizza. Thirdly, it starts now. It starts now. It's an open invitation to you and me. And this is why we do baptism. Baptism because baptism is a symbol. Now, something happens in in baptism too. You know, the spirit of God is in that moment, but it's a symbol of a death going down into the grave, right? And then raising a new life, a resurrected life with Christ. And that is a celebration. That's what baptism is all about. Death, new life, eternal hope. And that's how we should be reading the Bible is that this open invitation, it starts right now. So I kind of want to land the plane with with a story. I heard this story, and um, it's really helped me think about this practically. Uh, Nelson Mandela, um, everybody know Nelson Mandela, uh, he was in prison for 27 years for fighting apartheid. And fighting segregation that was happening in South Africa. And for a majority of his time in prison, he was on a small island called Robin Island, which is just seven kilometers off the coast of Cape Town, South Africa. And in prison, you you can go tour it now, in and, and his cell is tiny, but that won't surprise you. Um, and he has, you know, the bathroom. The poor living arrangements won't surprise you. It's not the smell or the backbreaking work or the things that they had to endure that would probably surprise you most. It's that out that tiny window. He could see Cape Town taunting him. <laughs> he could see freedom, but he couldn't grasp it. He could see his home, but he couldn't possess it. He couldn't get there. And on still days, they say that you can even hear children laughing in the city. Can you imagine the torture? And so, after a couple years of petitioning the guards, he decided to plant a garden. They let him plant a garden in one small corner of Prison, and he started with a few seeds, and then he had to research. He would never gardened before, so like, what do I use for fertilizer? Well, pigeon poop worked really well, and they had access to it. and the, And he grew this garden, and he figured out growing techniques and how to t- how to cultivate the garden. And over the years, it became a refuge for both the prisoners and the guards. It became a place of shade and flowers and even vegetables. You see, he saw the future and he said, I can cultivate that right beneath my feet, right here. So my question for us is, what can we cultivate right beneath our feet, right here and now that reflects the hope that we have out there? Sometimes it's just loving those people around us. Sometimes it's uh, just celebrating the birth of a child or a new creation, singing, practicing forgiveness or reconciling a relationship, overcoming addiction, teaching, helping the needy and the outcasts, praying, spending time with God and being in community. Which of these things is God most speaking to you right now? Like, hey, this is the time in my life that I see God doing something. And maybe it's not on this list. Maybe it's something else. What now? Heaven starts now. It doesn't have to start out there. It can start right now. And I love this quote by N.T. Wright. I'll kind of close with this. People who believe in the resurrection, and God making a whole new world in which everything will be set right at last are unstoppably motivated to work for that new world in the present. Are you unstoppably motivated? Heaven is invading earth. And he's inviting us. Come on can be a part of it too. Jesus told his disciples to pray often that your kingdom would come and your will would be done here on earth as it is in heaven. He was inviting God's kingdom to be inaugurated now in the midst of everything that we're doing. And that's the story. That's the good news of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the ground beneath our feet, the creation that you have given us. Thank you for your son Jesus who gives us new life and new hope, resurrection life, eternal life here, now. May your kingdom come and may your will be done in and through me and each of us every day as we go about our day. May your light shine upon us. And may your spirit and your shared space be in us and around us each and every day. In your son's name we pray, amen. Amen. That's my prayer for you. I hope that you can go today and feel the power and the presence of the spirit everywhere you go. And we'll see you right back here again next week as we talk about the Bible.